Hey everybody, my name is Alec, you're listening to Lunchbox Radio. So, thanks to everybody who's been listening to the podcast lately. I am in the process of figuring out exactly how I want to do more of the changes I want to do. Um, in the meantime, I am following my schedule. And so, on that note, let's jump right into it and talk about today's um, topic, which is Wonder Egg Priority. before when we were just getting previews of what we were going to see for winter 2021, um, we 
saw a most people saw a trailer for a thing called Wander Egg Priority. And by and large, not a whole lot of people had anything to make of it because it was beautiful, it was big, and it was super weird. But what we ended up getting is we ended up getting a... We ended up getting a rarity in... Not a rarity necessarily in anime, necessarily altogether, but a rarity of a show that was about something other than the norm than the normal suspect. So if you have no idea, there are many, 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 many anime produced with like a purpose. Usually those purposes are have babies. Usually those purposes are have babies. And the reason for that is because they, the, Japan has an amazing birth rate problem and has all of these cultural reasons it wants to get its birth rate back up because it's got an aging population and that's a huge problem. Um, I don't mean like aging like the people above the age of 30. I mean an aging like there are whole, there are whole towns that are, just have like five people in them outside of the major city centers. And what that, and what that kind of anime generally does is it's meant to inform the audience about something. Another common um, reason that anime are made is to attract people out to not even the suburbs but the country. They're made in basically tourism advertisements for living in the country, and another, and that's to help drive people into taking jobs in farming and agriculture and all that other fun stuff. There have also been different shows like um, Terror and Resonance, which if you've never seen Terror and Resonance, not the best show, but it is a show, it is definitely a political show, and it's a show that is like Terror Resonance in the way that, in the way that Gundam is inherently, like, inseparable from War Bad. Terran Resonance is, like, um, the director of Cowboy Bebop got pissed because he met too many alt-right people and was just like, fuck you guys, I'm gonna make the most leftist agenda warning signals all the way up and down anime I can figure out. And hence he made Terran Resonance. More recently, and you might not have caught this, um, there were two anime that were very clearly aimed at promoting, covertly, I think, the Olympics. Um, the first one was that, um, was, um, that show Skate the Infinity, and that was a show all about, made by Bond, and it was all about skateboarding. And, lo and behold... Skateboarding is a sport in the Tokyo Olympics. Um, I don't think that was a... Um, and actually, that came out... That and the next show I'm about to mention came out in the same... I believe the same season as um, our subject today. Um, Wonder Egg Priority. But the last show I'll talk about like this before we get to our 
thing of the moment is, um, a sh- I forget the name of the show, but it was a show all about sport climbing, which once again is a key sport in the Olympics, and I'll talk more. I think I might actually talk about the synergy between like anime and the Olympics for um, the Sunday show, actually, so look forward to that. But the thing is that when you're producing these shows, usually you're producing, there's a lot wrapped up in them, but I was watching, um, I started watching um, All American on Netflix, which is a really well-produced show about, like, coming up from the project to play, you know, in, in the NFL, hopefully, in the show's, like, future. But... They had this show is on right around about three years ago now. I'm watching the, I'm watching it on Netflix, and they had a whole episode that ultimately at the end became devoted to the talk. And if you're listening to this and you're like Alex, what's the talk? The talk is a talk that every black or person of color parent but especially black parent, sit down and has with their kid. Even if it's a white parent, they should sit down and have it with their kid about how you as a person of color, and specifically a black person, should act around the police to not get shot and killed. And it's a very real thing. Like, I, I'm mixed race. Um, my dad's not in the picture. My mom gave me this talk. Like, she and she's white. She like said very specific things about it too. It happened for just about every person of who is African American. And what that was, but what that was, was that was a pop culture moment. This show was originally on um, the CW about the reality of being, and they made sure to, like, really make it hit home hard, the reality of being a black person in America. And oftentimes when you get shows like Wonder A Priority or, like, um, any number of baby maker shows, there's not a direct engagement with the thing, with the, the thing that they're talking about. Uh, the people who set out to make Wanderay priority were a fairly inexperienced, you know, collective of not not inexperienced in the way that they didn't know what they were doing technically. Clearly, they made a beautiful show, but they didn't. They hadn't made a show yet, and it's I forget what studio it is. I've got that um, my anime list. Um, it it's from um it's from Anaplex and Anaplex um and Deanne and Dream Partners and the kind of like machine of Anaplex didn't give it a whole lot of um support, which is why it's largely regarded to have fallen apart by the end. But the thing that you gotta give it credit for, you gotta give um, Wandering Priority credit for, is that it 
it tried to tackle something that is always hinted at in anime. Always hinted at in anime. You can name tons of anime where you see this all the time, and you see glimpses of it all the time. Um, one of the most chilling examples of it is that is um, actually in a book called uh, Tokyo Vice, which is by Jake Adelstein. I think I actually covered it on this podcast. You can go find the um, my review of it in um, in the in the feed of whatever you need to listen to this right now. But this thing wants to be about not even teen suicide, but preteen suicide, and specifically female preteen suicide in Japan. And it's not a thing not a thing that's covered a whole lot. Especially outside of Japan. But there's very clearly a lot of problems with not just preteen girl life in Japan, but it's definitely noticeable as a preteen girl in Japan that, like, your life is not great. And a lot of that is because, you know, kids can be cruel to each other, and in a society where, you know, the nail that that sticks out gets hammered down, that cruelty can feel encouraged. And, you know, preteen girls can be really cruel to each other. And... As a result, this show exists in a world where, you know, people have killed themselves. And the um, lead character, I, her friend, her best friend, her really her only friend, killed herself. And you, you, um, I, Oto, is a main character. But you, you learn this through bits and pieces, and you learn her friends um you learn um her friends I believe Nagi I believe um Nagite is her friend is her friend's name you learn kind of what was happening in her friend's life that I didn't see that drove her eyes friend to kill herself to take her own life and I, along with, I believe, four other girls in total, a girl named um, Sawaki, a girl named Rika, a girl named um, Niru, all take part in this trial where they get an egg from a vending, from a castle machine, and they crack the egg, and they, they get some kind of magical girl weapon, and they have to defend... A, the soul of a girl who took her own life. It's not even really a girl. It's the soul of a woman who took her own life. And a young woman or an older woman. At one point you see um, Salary just putting up with this old woman, with this woman who's like in her mid-twenties. And just like, I will protect you, but you're insufferable. Um... And they have to deal with that person's trauma. And their trauma shows up in the form of just 
the most hideous, insane monsters they have to beat. And this is... This is this... What this show does is it takes this concept of, like, all the things that can happen to a preteen girl in her life that would drive her to want to take her own life and manifest them. There's a, um, a couple of child molester demons. Just a couple. There is a... The very first one you meet is an overbearing... It's like a demonized, overbearing um, gymnastics instructor, which is really telling... Um, because of the Olympics and because of Simone Biles and because of the right um, the right wing media's like treatment of Simone Biles since she said I'm done which you know more power to her but the right wing media is like no you get back up on that on that palm horse and you swing it's what we pay you for traitor and I know this is when I was watching when I was watching the Olympics. Actually, I watched the um, skateboarding section. Most of the female skateboarders, the male skateboarders were a little bit on the older side, but the most of the female skateboarders are like thirteen, fourteen. The youngest one you saw was twelve. And the way that the announcers, who are these insufferable British assholes, were talking about them was like they weren't even human. And, like, it always feels kind of gross to, like, listen to Olympic announcers talk about, you know, the Olympians because they're humans. Um, but it felt uniquely offensive to listen to it coming out of, like, two old British dudes' faces while, like, a 12-year-old was kicking ass, doing things they can't do doing things I can't do. You know, let these kids... And these kids were the first skateboarders in Olympic history. They were having fun. Let them just shut up, let the music play, and let them have fun. And so much of this show's backdrop is supposed to be about, at its best, like, look, look at what the world is putting kids through. Like, in this case, you know, young young girls. But look at what the world puts kids through. Look, look at what Japanese society has as an allowable possibility for just a young girl to have to deal with. And some of the storylines, some of the storylines they give as, back, as backgrounds to, um, to the girls are way, 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 way different, are that much different than you would encounter in America. But because that girl, that girl being targeted, and in many cases in this um, show, the, the girls who have killed themselves are not necessarily normal. <laughs> Like they have this, um, they have this pair of, uh, like idol fan girls, who are crazy. 
It's crazy. They kill themselves because they... Because they... You know... Were dri- because they were driven to because... This idol said she wanted. Also kills herself. But the idol was driven to kill herself and the... Per- and the like... Quote unquote trauma demon that shows up. By an insane stalker fan... Female fan... Who's stalking this girl. Who's stalking this idol woman. And... Even um, Rika in the main cast of the, like, three of the four magical girls who are, like, doing it. The person she's, whose soul she's trying to save is this girl who was a fan of hers. And who kept giving her money and kept giving her all these great things. And she just saw it up as a wallet until she caught this girl stealing from convenience stores all over the city, all over Tokyo. And she realized this girl was, you know, putting her ass on the line to provide for someone who she cared about, and Rika, in return, didn't even give it a second thought because she had some fucked up parental figures, basically. And the... The show feels very intentionally emotional and it feels it feels like it doesn't want to let you get away from what it is. In ways, it's actually really refreshing because it's not it has beautiful, insane, awesome animation and action sequences for most of it. There are some hiccups because once again, and we'll get to those issues in a second. Um, but it... At least in the beginning of the show, it has such a specific focus on the... on the kind of mindset that someone goes through when they lose a person. Especially when they lose a person to suicide or you know, overdose or a suicide-like thing. That you... That's inescapable. That they they do the same thing that eventually um, Josie the Tiger and the Fish did because it was afraid its audience would be too stupid to pick up on it. They say the quiet part loud at a point, and they're just like, "Hey, you know, this girl Ioto, she is deeply emotionally damaged, and she's always been deeply self-conscious because she has um, achromatic eyes." And not like a cute anime, in like a cute anime way because anime, but also like in the way that it would happen and not a cute way. Like she's very self-conscious about it and she has always been really distant from other people and she finally got a friend, a close person, a person who refused to not be close to her, which I have met people like I, Oto, I have like been like, nope, we're hanging out. You don't have a choice. We're friends now. Um, hi, Kie. And it... Once... You get... Once a person like that gets a friend... Once people who don't have a lot of people in their lives... Get a person in their lives... It... 
it means the world to them. I know this from growing up as a disabled person who is so is so separate from everyone else who you would probably ever meet. Because I'm I've talked about this before, but I am I am the bad thing that nobody really expects to happen to somebody. I am the person who had brain cancer and survived and now no longer has full use of one side of his body. And, you know, friendships mean a lot, mean a lot more to me than they do to many other people. And one of the reasons why I have so few close friendships is because... I will be honest, oftentimes my performance of friendship weirds people out. That they are put off by the closeness. Um, my few friends, um, my two big friends, Kie, hi Kie again, and Lauren, hi Lauren, um, the, like, the person who I co-host with on the Uncanny Curve podcast, Lauren, not Kie. Um, are so close to me because they understand why I am that way and they understand and it doesn't and they value that about me in the same way that I value them and losing someone like that especially to suicide it's really hard it's probably harder than anybody realizes unless they've had it happen and this show basically proposed the concept of therapy at least at first and then it kind of jumps off a bridge unfortunately and it, and one of the reasons why it was not lauded as like this big amazing show is because it from about the middle of the show onward, it had a lot of technical hiccups, it had a lot of shortcuts, and it had all, it had, it had problems, because once again, it was a, like, it wasn't animators who weren't capable of doing beautiful things, but it was animators who weren't capable of doing beautiful things at the scale and time frame that they were given. And so um, I started watching um, Words Bubble Up Like Soda Pop on Netflix. And there, oh, there's, a sequ- there's a first person sequence in that, in that movie where it just looks like a video, like first person video game. Because they made the executive decision to do all the background, to do all the background building most of the background period in um, very well cel-shaded CGI, but cel-shaded CGI. What that allows them to do is focus more on the character animation. Focus more on the thing they know will make this film, that they feel will make this film pop. And I'm believe me, I'm not a fan of most CGI treatments of stuff. If you've listened to this show, you already know that. But if you can do it well and effectively 
and it allows you to divvy up the work in a more manageable way where you're not like completely crunching everybody on your staff to get stuff done then it might be worth it you know but one of the I do um, divine work as a I've been for my for my most for all of my professional career I've done design work and one of the things that people always want they want things as fast as they can get them and I usually tell people you know you're going to sacrifice quality and vision for speed and like so if you haven't seen the first episode of Mad Men First episode of Batman has an amazing scene in it. And that's the scene when Don Draper in his office and just makes an executive decision to like go to sleep for like two hours. Just walks over to the couch in his office and goes freak to sleep for two hours. What's so amazing about that is nobody questions it. You know, like ultimately nobody questions him. And the create and like the creatives in that show are given the space to expand and the time to expand and explore and do good work. They're also paid an insane amount of money, but that's really what's necessary for you know artists to do good work and for artists, especially when they want to have a conversation about a topic, to really focus in on it. And what came to pass for the um, wandering for the Wander Egg team is they got more and more crunched, less and less support, and you see the show suffer for it over time. You see the show take weird turns of like it stops being it be it's less about you know teen girl suicide and 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 coping as being a teen girl who survived who is a survivor of your friend taking her own life and it being this extended therapy session for those characters and it starts to be more about like you know rogue AIs and not and sci-fi nonsense and that's a real shame because what I and Oftentimes, I have a bad habit on this show of straight up taking you through a rewriting of certain things. But I don't really have one here, because I don't know what I would have done. I... But I do know that there could have been a better way to stick the landing, or a way to stick the landing at all, honestly, than the end of the show. And... But the... The other reason I wanted to talk about the show is because I wanted to pose the concept of if a show isn't an absolute success, like Wanderer Project, like Wanderer Priority wasn't, is it worth giving it the time of day? Is it worth, you know, being... Is it worth the show being made? Or being made at the scale it was? And the answer, I would probably say yes. I'm gonna bring um, I'm gonna bring uh, Terran Resonance up again. 
Terran Residence is not a particularly great show. I think I mentioned that in um, my review of it on this podcast. You can go listen to that in the feed of whatever app you're using to listen to me right now. But it is a somatically interesting show, and it is a show that seeks to make a show that involves terrorism after 9-11, which is a big deal. And, like, the director uses a lot of imagery from 9-11, straight up. And not that I'm like, hey, let's do 9-11, let's let's make the incredibly loud and incredibly close to, to anime. That's never a thing I want. Um... But what I do think is important is that people, especially people producing entertainment and creative people producing entertainment, have plenty of rope to hang themselves with if necessary. Have a lot of space to experiment and have have the opportunity to, if they want to, have a conversation about, like, the effect of alt-right people on the public, the, you know, make a weird, giant, deeply post-9-11 Gundam show like Gundam 00. You know, make a fuck-all-adults Gundam show like Iron Blood Orphan. Make a show about coping with teen suicide as a teenager like Wanderer's priority and be allowed to do that and people know that it might fail, it might not turn out perfect it might not be the end all be all so I just got a huge you know not a huge but I got a fairly large shipment of stuff from um from um Right stuff. And in that shipment of stuff, I got a, um, I got this deal book for, um, Monster Musume. Monster Musume was pretty good and pretty successful, but it was produced, but the, like, coolness of, like, its conversations about accessibility that I see in it. It's really just for me. It's not necessarily an intentional thought, although I'm sure some thought was given to it. I mean, they straight up mention it constantly in that show. But it was also done to be really commercially viable. And that's a double-sided coin, because once you flip into everything needing to be insanely commercially viable, you have to make... You have to work around that and within that. Or, you could go the way Wandering Priority did. You could make something that is so beautiful and it's like one of the most beautiful things of its season. And you could do your best to knock it out of the park. Sometimes miss the, sometimes miss the ball, or drop the ball, rather. But, you know, it's like the old saying. 
aim for the moon and you'll land among the stars. You know, I don't think that looking back on Wanderer priority. Uh, anime, the anime fandom will remember the, like, issues it had. I think people will look back on it and they'll be like, this thing is beautiful. It's not the best, but it's immaculate. It's gorgeous. It's wildly imaginative. It's wildly thoughtful and full of heart. Um, an example I'll use to compare it to is if you look at um, Batman Ninja, which, once again, talked about on the show, um, you can listen to it in the um, feed in for my podcast and whatever you're listening to this right now. Batman Ninja is like... It's a what-if art piece. It doesn't need to exist. It's total fluff. It's not... And it's, it's not even close to canon for the essential Batman mythos. But it is fascinating. And it is a ball-to-the-wall good time. And it is like... We, we DC, gave our top property, Batman, to some crazy people and said, make a thing, and they did. And is that not a great use of just being an IP holder, which is what DC and Marvel are now, really, then I don't know what is. Um, there's a great a great, like, Simpsons Akira mashup project called Bart Kira. You can go find out there on the internet. I found out about it from Super iPad Wolf over on um, YouTube. But it's this, you know, reusing, it's this recontextualization of Simpsons characters in in the frame of being Akira characters. Like, they make Bart into Canada and like all these different things and such a like violation of like IP rights and like copyright and all this shit but it's also insanely creative and insanely thoughtful and really striking I've seen stuff from it I haven't actually read it though but it's That's part of the reason why you want to give, you know, creatives, especially creatives you probably never haven't seen a whole lot from, at the very least, a good amount of leeway and resources to make something, because they will probably surprise you along the way. And that's really what I think the ultimate you know, lesson to be taken away from something that, yes, didn't end great, like uh, Wander Egg Priority, is that, you know, this thing had something. It, it, it did a beautiful job at what it started out to do. It just didn't end in the right place. And that's... As a result, like I said, I don't think that it will be remembered as this once promising show that fell from grace because it just couldn't stick the landing. And I I know there'll be people who think of it like that. 
But I think they're missing the point. Because it's so... There's so much rat racy stuff going on constantly. That like people catch... People are constantly trying to play catch up with... The anime charts and it just doesn't... It should it shouldn't work like that. So um I ordered four bit I ordered four fairly large orders from um Right Stuff over a couple months and they've been trickling in slowly. The last big order was these was I put in was included this deal book for um for Izoku reviewers. Now, the reason I put that steelbook in is not necessarily because I'm like, chomping as a bitch watch that show, but the reason I put that steelbook in is because that show is, has a unique, has a unique distinction of being the show that kind of broke the simulcast machine for, like, a moment there, and that everything was greased, everything was working, everything was perfect. But it wasn't perfect for a show they didn't expressly know what it was going to be at the end. Because that show, by episode 3, is just porn. By episode 2, is porn. And the, the big scandal of its season was interspecies reviewers got pulled because oops, because oops, porn. Um, and nobody knew what to do with it. So, and this quickly became true in real time. The quality of the show at some point didn't matter. The reality was, this show got one over on, quote-unquote, the man. Because the man wasn't paying attention and doing its homework properly. And even, even the original writer of the manga was like, whoa, you guys made porn. I made weird edgy shit, but you guys made porn. Okay. Okay. I'm not mad, but it's weird, no? And I think that's what will end up happening to um, Wonder It Priority. It's that it's meta-narrative of it being an untested team combined with bad, a bad, like, just a bad environment for creating something as beautiful as they still made will be the thing that is remembered alongside the show of, like, yeah, it's not great, but it's way better than average. And they did it in these insane conditions and look at this thing. It's still frame wise. Look at this thing. It's pretty good looking. And they kept it up for as long as they fucking could. And I think that occasionally, especially with like the rise of VTubers and more than ever the kind of commercialization. I'm gonna sound like a hippie now. I'm sorry. I'm. I'm an old taku at heart, but the, like, super commercialization and the super popularization of, like, weeb culture and anime 
it's important to remember that at the end of the day, this stuff is all art. And art isn't always super clean cut and perfect and well and as well presented as it could be um, and created in the best circumstances it could have been. And uh, bring it back to the Olympics for a second, one of the most amazing things about watching the, which if you can watch the skateboarding um, the Olympic skateboarding stuff, I encourage you to go watch it because it's so unpolished. And when you when you watch when you watch the Olympics, you know, the most exciting moments are when you know failure could occur and doesn't. The saddest moments are when failures occur because you know even for a bronze medal athlete in like swimming. They still did the thing. It's still perfect. It's still all all the edges are ironed off. It, uh, newer Olympic sports are not that way. Skateboarding, especially, is so diff. It's so different than all the other sports that it's joining because it's so unpolished. These, these kids, these kids have the tracksuit to accept their medals in, but that's it. That is all they have. the The rest of it is like skate aware all the way up and down the line. They don't have uniforms they're in yet. And it's really exciting. In the same way, water aid priority is really exciting because it feels like someone just gave them gave them enough of the means to say make something and they did it. And it's really it's uh, it's an impressive feat even if it's not perfect. Um, and those are my thoughts on Wonder Aid Priority. If you like this podcast, um, be sure to subscribe to it in whatever you're using to listen to me right now. And new episodes come out every third day and Sunday. Third day is like this. It's about a show or a film. Um, um, Sundays are more metatextual. Like I said, I'm probably going to talk about anime in the Olympics because the Olympics is about to wrap up, at least in real time. Um, not for me. I've still got stuff to watch through. But on that note, I've been Alex. You've been listening to Lunchbox Radio. And I will talk to you on Sunday.